My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we begin our conversation with our Lord, let's recall that scene in the Gospel of St. John where he encounters at the side of a well the Samaritan woman who comes to draw water. It's a scene that Jesus spends quite a bit of time, excuse me, St. John spends quite a bit of time describing the dialogue and the conversation that Jesus and the Samaritan woman have. But we do well to Imagine how Jesus arrives at the well. It's the heat of the day. They have been traveling for quite some time. And traveling for a while without provision. They don't have food. And it's significant that when Jesus arrives there, he sends the apostles ahead without him. He's going to stay behind at the well. Not only is he exhausted and tired, but understandably, being a human being just like us in all things, there seems to be an an understandable desire for space, to just be alone. The way that can happen when we are tired and and perhaps hungry and, and in the heat of the day. So with energy levels low, this woman appears before Jesus. And surely he could see her making her way towards the well. And as she gets closer and Jesus sees who she is, with his divine gaze, he understands truly who she is, the state of her soul. Jesus comes alive. He engages her. Seeing how much his father loves her, makes his humanity respond. It brings up within him this desire for self-giving. And Jesus gives her his full attention, so full that he sees her soul, what she needs, He guides her into this revelation of herself, this opening up, not only to confess the true state of her soul, but opens her up for a desire for more, this desire for living water. So much so that when the apostles return, they come back from the village, they are surprised to see Jesus so transformed. They offer him food, and he says that he doesn't want anything, he doesn't need it. St. John tells us, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Those words are so full of meaning. And as Jesus would say them to the apostles, he would say them understanding precisely that they don't get it yet. They didn't yet understand that there was a spiritual uh, force at work within him 
that they still had to come to experience. And that force expressed itself and was fostered by his self-giving. Self-giving out of love for other people, for souls, for their good, for their being reconciled to his Father. I have food to eat that you do not know about. I'm, I am moved by something that you still have to experience. And the fact that they don't understand is very simply and effectively uh, revealed to us when the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Right? They, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about at all. So Jesus has to make it explicit. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. See what I see. Be alive to what I'm alive to. Don't stay simply on a level of the feelings of tiredness or hunger or comfort that purely animal level, if you like. Be transformed and allow your humanity to be transfigured by this deeper desire, this desire that comes from my Father and that gives us life to the full, a life to the full that expresses itself in self-giving. And this is what we want to try to contemplate this morning in our prayer. And it's why I want us to begin just putting before our mind's eye this uh, expression of Jesus, this reaction of Jesus, to contemplate his self-giving, but to contemplate it as source, source of life, source of energy, source of joy, source of all that he, do, he does, And just to bring this to a point, I, I was came across the other day some very kind of concise, even lapidary words uh, of St. Josemaria in Forge. He just very simply says, This is the truth of a Christian's life. Self-giving and love. Love of God and, for God's sake, love of one's neighbor, founded on sacrifice. That's the truth of a Christian's life. Self-giving and love. Love of God and love of others for God's sake. Because he loves them. That's the truth of our lives. But what we want to pray about this morning is that that's the truth of my life. Not just because St. Maria said it or because it's written in a book somewhere. But because it is the truth of Jesus' life a truth that we glimpse in the gospel in very human expression, a truth that he reveals to us in his actions and his words, but he reveals it to us and he makes it available to us as the highest possible form of human living. If we want to have life and have it to the full, we are not simply to imitate him exteriorly, but to allow his inner life to express itself in us to let him live in us. And that is not just a metaphor. It's not uh, 
some distant mystical experience. It's a very accessible, real possibility that we can also describe by the expression self-giving. Now, just to talk about, when we talk about self-giving or giving ourselves or making a gift of ourselves or however we want to phrase it, I, I think in our prayer as well, it's helpful to purify that expression a little bit. We have to clear away misunderstanding. Because there is a possibility of, in inverted commas, giving ourselves in an unhealthy way, in a mistaken way. And maybe just as an example, I mean, just as, you know, dieting and exercise for someone with an eating disorder can be an expression of sickness, something that is harmful, something that destroys that saps life. But in a person who's healthy, dieting and exercises is actually life-giving. It's what makes them healthy. And it's part of that good life. Very similar external action in some ways, but very, very different results. Illness in the one, health and life-giving in the other. And unhealthy self-giving, you know, I'm going to try to really serve other people and be there for them and give them what they need and I'm just emptying myself. That becomes unhealthy whenever it has to do with manipulation. What I mean by manipulation is whether it's conscious or unconscious, giving in order to be loved or appreciated. That's the manipulation bit. And this can happen to people. It can happen to us in some mild form as well. That what kind of makes us want to be attentive to someone or really go out of our way or you know, really kind of invest ourselves emotionally in this person is because they appreciate it or because we admire that person or we hope to be noticed by them. It makes us feel better to do it. And it's kind of using another person as an occasion to feel better, that's a very unhealthy expression of self-giving. And as is normally the case, by their fruits you shall know them. So self-giving whose fruits are exhaustion, emptiness, resentment, kind of bitterness and harshness, well that that is not the self-giving that we find in Christ. There's no way in which trying to make myself feel worthy or to make myself feel secure or loved, that's not a way forward. It's not a reason to give myself. But what we contemplate in Jesus, what we see in him is that the reason for self-giving is precisely that he knows himself to be loved. Jesus' self-giving is a response. Now, obviously, in Jesus, it's unique because he is, he is a person of the Trinity. His very personhood is defined by his being received and his giving himself. 
In Jesus, there is no distance between his being a person and his giving himself and being received. Imagine, our imagination just doesn't get there. We can't, there's no example that we can give that perfectly reflects that. There's no way to kind of express it well. But I, I just mention it because what we want to remind ourselves as we contemplate our Lord and, and we want to try to tap in to this life-giving source of self-giving is that Jesus is calling us to a life of self-giving not as an exterior kind of moral pattern that is just the better way for us to act. Rather, he is offering us a way of being. His way of being. And even though we are limited and weak and we uh, are inconstant in a lot of different ways, that is what we have to be aspiring to. Right now in our prayer, we lift our eyes up to that amazing possibility. Lord, help me to exist as you exist, to live as you live, with the certainty that I myself am given to receive the love of your Father, and in that reception have precisely the power and the energy to give. Inexhaustible, without bottom, of giving myself and love to the others. And it's precisely in that giving that I actually come to possess myself even more. And that's the paradox at the heart of what we're considering. The paradox of this healthy, holy self-giving. The more I give myself lovingly, the more I possess myself and the more I am fulfilled. When that kind of self-giving tries to happen outside of the perspective of faith, when it's a question of me trying to reassure and affirm myself and acting on the basis of feelings and fear, the opposite happens. I don't possess myself. I'm not authentic. And I wind up becoming empty, resentful, and bitter. The spiritual writer Henry Nguyen just very simply said, One of our, our hard and very urgent tasks is to realize that nature is not primarily a property to be possessed, but a gift to be received with admiration and gratitude. And this is particularly true of our human nature. It's not something that we have to kind of beat down and get under control and make it work for us and, and be efficient and, and flawless in our execution and be more successful in what we do. It is a gift. And when we receive it as such in gratitude, then we are able to multiply it by giving it lovingly. Now, self-giving, just, you know, it's, it's kind of tricky to define in the abstract. Or, well, the more I think the more I just, as I was thinking about our prayer this morning, the more I tried to, what would be a good definition of it, the more I felt I was getting abstract. But it's actually something that's fairly easy to identify. You know, we know it when we see it. 
receiving a meal from someone who cares about you. You know, cooking I think is a is a very immediate, incredibly tangible, tasty experience of self giving. You know, there's a big difference between just boom, you know, boil potatoes on a plate. There you go, nutrition. Versus a meal that was done in a special way, in the way that it's prepared. Because you you realize that somebody's put themselves into it. And it's maybe a very helpful expression of what we're trying to talk about. The same thing happens when a person listens. When they go out of their way in their work. When they remember us. When they're mindful of us. It's not just a service or a thing that we're receiving, but it's that person's very self. Even in gifts that we might receive. You know? This is why parents are always you know, so moved by the gifts that their children make them. You know, people who aren't their parents look at the little scrawled little drawing of the sunflower with five different crayons and, you know, and just kind of, uh, you know. But the parent or the mother or the father understands that that is... My child has just given herself to me. She's really put herself into it. And it's something that we see over and over and over in Jesus' own life. He's not officious in what he does. He's not simply performing a prophetic function. Before the crowds and the thousands who come to see them, he doesn't say, you know, kind of, okay, everyone, uh, all of you who are sick, lame, and blind, and need blessings, all right, everyone over here to the right, and I'm just going to get you at once, you know, kind of get ready, here comes the blessing, and you're going to be healed. He's not just doling out grace, because that's what he's supposed to do. One by one, he lays his hands on them. That personal contact that wanting to see, that wanting to touch. One of the hallmarks and characteristics of his healing and of his ministry is that personal self-giving, that touch, because the goal that he's seeking is union, communion, connection. In so many gospel scenes, we want to contemplate this, savor it, allow ourselves to be moved by it, because this self-giving that we see, just to repeat what I've, what I've already mentioned, is not simply the right way to act. And I think this is an important thing in our prayer, you know, that when we, part of having Jesus at the center of our life, having him at the center of how we understand our Christian vocation, is to be drawn in by him into a new way of being. And to wake up from the delusion that somehow you and I are independent, we're here, Jesus is there, and I have to kind of decide, am I going to act this way or that way? What's the best way for me to act? How should I be? Well, I could maybe be a little bit this way, or maybe I should be a little bit more that way. How am I going to decide? As if there were some neutral ground on which I could stand to make that decision. It's not the case. I already have a nature that is hungering for God, that is being drawn towards Him, 
that finds its fulfillment in self-giving, whether I realize it or not. Because as St. John Paul II never tired of telling us during his entire pontificate, Jesus Christ reveals to us what it means to be a human being. We can't figure it out by ourselves. We get it wrong. I mean, we, we approximate it. Some people who were smarter or had deeper insight came closer than others. But as he would say, the mystery of what it means to be a human being is revealed in Jesus Christ. St. Maria, in his consideration of that scene after the resurrection in John's Gospel when Jesus encounters the apostles who have gone out fishing. Another fruitless fishing attempt all night, trying to fish and catching nothing. Jesus meets them in the morning. He tells them to cast the net once again. They do the miraculous catch of fish. They come to the shore and they find Jesus making them breakfast. This marvelous Seen Jesus making them breakfast. And our father remarks when he presents this scene and, and his preaching and he talks about it, he says, let us marvel and be moved by what we see Jesus doing for we see not simply a possible way of acting. Rather, we are discovering the love of God. In other words, if I just simply say, yeah, I need to give myself more. I need to be more, have a greater spirit of service. I need to be more generous. I need to do X, Y, or Z. That's not where we start. That is downstream from this deeper insight of allowing ourselves to be moved and to be drawn and committing ourselves to following that. Saying, Lord, it's just true. Giving myself and living a life of self-giving is the best possible life that I can have because it's true. In our Christian formation, in our Christian life, we need to understand philosophy, we need to understand theology, we need to understand the teaching of the church. The more that we read, the more that we understand, the more we are able to bring together ideas and that strengthens our faith. But all of those ideas and that learning and that understanding, which is absolutely essential, all of it comes to life and becomes an evangelical force, something that is turns us into light and leaven in the middle of the world, all of that happens to the degree that we discover and are transformed by God's own self-giving. His self-giving, which is a fatherly self-giving, loving me as his child and trying to respond back. That experience that we have in prayer, that we can have in our day-to-day -day living, that is the transfiguration of everything else. And it's the difference between a Christian who being turned on in an apostolic sense, being alive, transmitting the faith, versus a Christian who is a little bit more theoretical, 
a lot of understanding, a lot of insight, a lot of knowledge about the faith, but who in practice is the same temperature and lives at the same rhythm as the people around her. The difference of having interior life. Interior life not just because I spend a lot of time before the Blessed Sacrament, but because I have let that time transform me into a person whose joy, whose living happens because of self-giving. And Jesus is eager his entire life to teach this mindset to us. Consider the ravens of the field, he tells us. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If you are not able to do a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. This is how Jesus lived himself. This freedom, this certainty, this confidence, this was the air that he breathed, this was the atmosphere that surrounded him. And in these little pokings and proddings, Jesus says these words, O you of little faith. Do not be afraid, little flock, cajoling us to say, live as I live. Live with the certainty and the conviction that God is your Father who gives you everything. You are, you are given by Him. Receive yourself from Him. Therefore, don't worry about the rest. In fact, for, just give it away. All of you, just sell it. Sell your possessions. Give alms. Stop trying to protect yourself. Stop looking over your shoulder. Stop trying to go forward with the parking brake still on. Give yourself. Do not be afraid. The highest expression of Jesus' self-giving, of course, is the cross. Circumstances around him made it seem that he was doing anything but being free. He was in chains. He was being controlled. As far as they could see, he was absolutely at their mercy. They had him. But Jesus was emphatic about his freedom. That it was his choice. And that he was doing it from love. And that he was transforming all of that from the inside. So as to show you and me that hate and sin have no access to the freedom and the salvation that divine love, that divine self-giving brings with it. The thing is, is that for, for you and me, 
living in a world affected by sin, we ourselves affected by our weakness and our sin. Self-giving doesn't come spontaneously. In fact, what comes spontaneously is self-preservation. That's part of our animal nature. But what we discover in Christ is that we are not simply the result of an evolutionary process driven by a desire for self-preservation. We are much more. We are children of God. We have a spiritual nature that comes into its own and transfigures our human nature when through the cross we give ourselves lovingly because we know ourselves loved. And it does happen through the cross because we have to make an effort. Because sometimes it pinches, it hurts. We feel like we're going against the grain. But in truth, when we do it, we're going with the grain of our true human nature. Bringing it out of its simple fallen condition. And aligning ourselves with the freedom and the power and the joy of Jesus' own life. And maybe this just helps us see, and with this we can, can end our meditation, that maybe we can know we're getting this self-giving right the more we're able to enjoy it. The more that our giving of ourselves in our work and our friendships, in both in our work and our friendship, discovering that it really should be a postulate, for other people because we want them to be closer to God, we want them to be happier, we want them to be at peace. And that desire for others makes me eager to be more generous in doing what I do well. And that I enjoy that. I enjoy it whether because I realize it in my mind or not, I'm experiencing the life of God well up within me. A little bit like what Jesus said to the woman, at the well, that he would give a living water that would spring up, that would rise up in the soul and well up to eternal life. This bottomless source of life-giving water would arise within us. And again, Jesus was speaking from personal experience, trying to share his own way of living as a child of God, which is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. That through that self-giving, to enjoy it, <laughs> to experience it as serenity and peace, not as a burdensome responsibility, not as something that we worry and fret over. Mary's self-giving was absolute. Mary's self-giving was liberating. It happened and it began with her fiat, with the angel Gabriel, but it expressed itself countless days afterwards. In her work, in her dedication, in her patience with others, in her attentiveness, we get glimpses of it in the moments where she appears in the gospel all the way to the foot of the cross where she joins her son. Let's ask her to help us see in particular ways in our day-to-day -day living how we can tap into this food that maybe we still need to discover, this food that gave life to Jesus, that gave life to her, 
and that throughout history has given life to all of the saints and all of those who have preceded us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father-in-Law, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.